and they have to go through that for a year and you've gone from the heights of winning in formula two to just being sat around for for a year so it's, uh, it's tough yeah. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Track Limits Podcast presented by Formula Addict. I'm your host, Swish. I'm with my co-host, Henny. Today we're in London and we have a pretty awesome guest, an endurance racer, a former Williams Reserve driver, Jat Aiken. Welcome, welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me. Feels right. very pro with all the uh, cameras and kit you've got. There's one up there too. No, I'm kidding. I don't yeah, know. It's, a, it's a hidden camera. <laughs> you've been punked. Yeah. How are you doing though? Yeah, good, good. Yeah. Um, no, I've just... It's still the quiet part of the season. I've had my first race of the year, which mm-hmm. was Daytona 24 hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, it's kind of like a steady ramp up through the year. So for the next couple of months, I'm going to be home a bit more than I normally would be, which is nice. Get into a routine, mm-hmm. not living out of a suitcase. But <laughs> yeah, um, that was good. Perfect. Well, over the next hour, we're going to kind of go through three parts. Q1, racing related questions. Q2, diving into you as a professional, but even just personally, how you've become who you are today. And then finally, Q3, the rapid fire round. Oh. Pepper you with a bunch of questions and just see how fast you can go. Yeah, I've not got a good history of rapid fire rounds. <laughs> They're like, look, like, like, you, you can't just keep talking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Try and be a bit more concise. Perfect. Let's well, let's it. get into Q1. Yeah. I think first question we ask every guest, tell us a bit about your career in about 30 seconds. I know it might be tough, but what are some of the core accomplishments you're proud about? Um, so probably the biggest thing is that I, like you mentioned earlier, I was with Williams Reserve driver mm-hmm. and actually got to sort of fulfill that role by stepping into the car for a race mm-hmm. in uh, Sakia Grand Prix 2020. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like a long time ago now yeah um so obviously very proud of that and everything that led up to it mm-hmm. um but i uh, was also formula renault euro cup champion in 2015 which is kind of what kick-started my career and what got me into the renault academy mm-hmm. that was my first link to f1 uh, i've been karting since i was seven and yeah now transitioned into endurance racing right. so yeah. And what does that day-to-day life for you now look like i know you kind of briefly talked about this now being a bit of a quiet period after daytona but are you still training every day? Like, what does that regimen kind of look like for you right now? Just getting into training a bit more now. Yeah, after the sort of Christmas holiday period where mm-hmm. you relax a little bit. But honestly, my season finished uh, two weeks before Christmas mm-hmm. in terms of the travel. Mm-hmm. So you don't have a lot of time to decompress, which mentally I think is pretty important just to give yourself a break. Um, and then, yeah, I, I do try and ramp up the training, build up the strength that I need now and uh, through the year just watch it slowly slip away because <laughs> you're just traveling so much yeah. that you know yeah. you can't be in the gym the day before a flight and then be absolutely ruined when you get off the plane for a test or a race hmm. so you have to sort of measure your yourself uh, your effort a little bit more um so now we're training like four or five days a week it's a mix of going to the gym doing a bit of running cycling whatever alex wants to torture <laughs> me with because she puts me through my paces but yeah. I, w- I do a lot of work, work with my physio and um, also just checking in on general health. Like uh, I'd have some back issues is a strong word, but like, mm-hmm. I need to stay on top of it because of previous injuries. Right. Um, so this is the time of year to do that. Yeah. And yeah. I can't even imagine we've been doing this for a month now. <laughs> and I don't even think that I don't remember the last time we slept eight hours. No, I <laughs> like it's, it's been rough. I don't. But we're enjoying it. But how was yeah. Daytona? How was that experience like? It was really cool. Yeah. yeah it's one of the bucket list races that I wanted to do. So um weirdly a lot of my bucket list races have always been endurance races like mm. le mans, le mans obviously yeah, yep. um but petit le mans and daytona in america everyone says that the atmosphere is so amazing with the fans and they're like 
a bit more old school the tracks yeah. daytona is a bit of an anomaly but mm -hmm. road atlanta where they have petit le mans it's one of those circuits that it's track white line grass concrete wall yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, all you got. That, that's all you got and yeah. if you make a mistake it's gonna be pretty bad mm -hmm. and um it's very bumpy the tarmac's usually really really terrible so um it's got a bit more of an old school feel to it uh, next race is at sebring which kind of mm -hmm. epitomizes a lot of that um so yeah i loved getting to see the fans in the infield at daytona going up on the banking for the first wow. time and you kind of like um you feel the car sticking into the ground and getting pressed in mm. which is really cool but then when you go under a safety car and you get up onto the banking suddenly the thing's trying to slide oh, down geez. on you and you're like oh my yeah it's pretty steep yeah. <laughs> like it's, you feel it in your neck and even just your legs trying to hold them straight in the cockpit is such an angle that um yeah it's an experience wow. it was really cool and and how's it different from an f1 weekend mm. very different yeah. like um I mean, F1's different to everything else. Like I compare endurance being closer to some of the junior feeder series that I did like F3 and F2. Because um, in F1, you get quite a lot of track time and it's like good quality track time. So you've got a lot of time to dial yourself in, work on the car um, and it's fairly relaxed. Like that was quite a nice surprise when I jumped in for the race weekend. Mm. Whereas F2, F3 endurance sports, you're often sharing the track with a lot of other support series and um even different classes and endurance racing as well so you'll never get a clear lap in practice right and you just have to live with that and that's also how you're gonna have to race you know getting past cars all the time um and you're sharing the car with two or three other guys so you kind of have to be ready to jump in and just adapt to whatever the conditions are mm. and have a bit more of a you know a relaxed approach to the car not being quite right or whatever yeah and you were a reserve driver for williams for three years what was that experience like and what was what was that responsibility because i don't think people understand what drivers yeah. uh do it's it's a weird role like it's um it's obviously become very popular in the last well reserve drivers have been around for a long time but i think it's become much more of a professional role let's say in the last decade yeah. mm. um it, most drivers hate it like it's, really? <laughs> it's a terrible job to do when you're a guy that wants to get to f1 because yeah. you're so close right mm -hmm. you get to do the occasional test but they're very very few and far between in the current rule set that we've got mm. um and the rest of the time you're just sat in the motorhome listening on the radio to what the drivers are saying what the engineers are talking about trying to contribute to some conversations but really there's not a lot you can do mm. And then you don't have a job the rest of the weekend. So, you know, you do a bit of marketing activities, but it's a very common sight. If you walk into any motorhome in the F1 paddock, the reserve driver will be feet up, sleeping on the sofa, <laughs> trying to kill time. I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a running joke. Um, you know, the first few races, you love the experience because, of course, you would. It's a, it's a big role. It's a lot of responsibility, like you say. Um, but it, it, it wears thin after time being so close to what you want, mm. but so far at the no same time no wonder why ricky likes it yeah right <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's just a part like especially there's a lot of guys that are coming through f2 now that maybe the seat isn't available straight away mm. and they have to go through that for a year and you've gone from the heights of winning in formula 2 to just being sat around for for a year so it's, mm. uh, it's tough yeah. and was it hard to stay motivated and even focused during mm. that time because one of the things i also find pretty interesting is that you can get called up at any moment Right. So like, do you have yeah. to just constantly be in shape and train throughout? Yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, I was lucky that while I was reserve driver, I did have some other racing going on. I was still right. doing F2 yep. and I did uh, some testing as well in older cars, for, like both 
uh, when I was at Renault and when I was at Williams. So um, it kept me busy and it also gave me a reason to stay in shape other than just like that thing of, oh, maybe you'll maybe drive the car, car at some yeah. point, mm. which for sure is tough uh, to motivate yourself um, on such a small chance. Mm. Um, so I did. And the other thing that helps is the simulator, funnily enough. Mm. Like, again, most drivers, it's not their favorite thing in the world to do because it sounds like a lot of fun and it is the first few days yeah. and then it starts to wear thin and you realize that it's actually 10 hour days in a dark room where you're just doing lap after lap after lap and right. looking at granular detail is very mm. mentally fatiguing mm. um but the benefit of that is you know the car really well yeah so when i jumped in in sakia i'd been doing so much time in the simulator that i knew the layout of the steering wheel i knew all the menus i knew where x was where y was mm -hmm. and it cuts out quite a big learning curve because when you're trying to keep a car on the track yeah. right. in front of a whole paddock and you're like this is your moment you really don't want to be dealing with trying to learn all of these systems for the first time it's just too much yeah yeah, yeah. do you sim race by the way like outside <laughs> at home maybe i i try i, I have an i racing yep. account oh, nice. yeah yeah um but I, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> like for, for some reason, I, I find it way harder than racing in real life. I think because well, I just don't practice enough. We've been told that by yeah. many drivers. They're like, some of them hate it because they're like, we just go and we get destroyed yeah. by kids in like online lobbies. <laughs> and then some of them like it because it's a big challenge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we're putting together like a season one league. Yeah. So, you know, if you okay, want to yeah. join. Yeah. <laughs> Bring I your did, A game. I did some stuff with the Williams esports team because yes. they have a whole outfit and the, the facilities they've got at the factory are amazing. Right you know board reserve driver what else was i gonna do and um i did the what was it virtual le mans 24 hours the first yeah. year it ran in covid yeah and that was epic because uh -huh. uh, we spent a lot of time practicing yeah i was in a team of four you needed to have two sim drivers esports drivers yeah and two pro drivers like from the real world with yeah. a real license but um the other guy that was meant to be a pro a real life guy just happened to have his license for racing in real life but oh, he wow. was actually a sim racing driver wow. and actually he's just um it's augustine canapino he's mm -hmm. just actually made his graduation to indycar wow which is really cool very cool um and he's a big thing in south south america but anyway um what that meant was i was by far the slowest right so I'm basically <laughs> up against three pros and i'm pounding around trying to get within like two seconds of these guys <laughs> around the morning i was like this is embarrassing like, i'm gonna bring this whole team down mm -hmm. and it was such a big event for the sim guys you're like if i mess up and put this thing in the wall in my first lap you've just taken away the biggest opportunity of these guys career up yep. to this point like it was a big thing so yep. there's a lot of pressure i got to a level where i was kind of acceptable and we finished on the podium so that yep. was really really cool uh, but that's the most right. sim racing. I've At done. least you didn't disconnect. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching. Uh, I've watched the last two years rather than compete. And yeah. Jeez. Yeah. It's it's a tough thing to put on an event. But yeah. So Max's response was justified. Yeah. 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 It's, it's hard. I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> I, I don't know enough about um, all of that to have an opinion. <laughs> and you mentioned that, you know, you participate in practice sessions. Uh, what's that experience like? And how does that work with the teams, you know? collecting the data and you being in that car yep uh well it depends where you are as a driver so the first time i did that i was in gp3 excuse me um and it was with renault in in an old car because you know again time in contemporary machinery is so limited they're like we'll try you out in the car that's a few years old first just doing some very low level testing um and that's quite a relaxed environment the the team that runs those cars is different to the race team mm. 
So it's often younger mechanics, younger engineers that are doing the same thing that the drivers are. They're trying to graduate and it's a learning experience for everybody. And, you know, the main thing is just to get yourself up to speed. You're not competing against anybody. You're not even really testing anything because the car isn't relevant anymore. So that's quite nice and it's a good way to get up to speed. And it's a cool way to experience your first F1 car because that's what it is for most people. Um, And then when you get into the contemporary stuff, suddenly that ramps up quite a lot of pressure because then, you know, it's suddenly it's a responsibility, right? Because you've got a lot of test items to get through and the team are very uh, aware that it's valuable, this track time, like they need to get something out of it. And you're the guy that has to give them the feedback. Of course, there's a lot of data, but you have to be a big part of that. Um, So you have to be ready when you get in and feel like you're prepared rather than just going in to learn. Yeah. It's a very different dynamic, Um, but it's still very cool. I mean, the first time I did it was Barcelona rookie testing in 2019, I think, or even 18. I can't remember. (laughs) Um, But I just remember looking at the the timing board. I'm like, ah, Bottas. (laughs) 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 I mean, like, you you know, some people, I don't know if they they won't admit it or if there's just like, they they really don't care. But for me, it was a cool moment Mm -hmm. to see you up on that timing board. Yep. You don't obviously just want to be there. You want to be at the top. But mm-hmm. It's still a cool moment, you know, and um, yep. or just the fact that it's a little bit more official. You've got the full team there. Yep. The motorhomes are still up because it's after the race weekend. It feels pretty special, you know. Amazing. And then 2020, obviously, like you mentioned, Secure Grand Prix. I'm actually more curious, obviously, you know, I'd love for you to go into your experience, but even just talk to us about when you get that call, how you felt, like, where were you? Like when you got the call that, hey, you know, Lewis has COVID, George is going to Mercedes. Like how did that all unfold? Yeah, it was uh, Tuesday before the Grand Prix. Um, I was just in the hotel room. I'd been racing in F2 the previous weekend and was mm. planning on racing in F2 for the finale. Um, was it our finale? I can't remember. Um, so I was just chilling. Alex was with me. And um, I started getting some sort of rumors from the through the grapevine oh of uh, Lewis having COVID. Mm-hmm. And I kind of looked at it and was like, shame for him. Yeah. And literally didn't think more of it because it's not connected to Williams, right? In mm-hmm. my head. Um, and then I got a message from George actually saying, just so you know, mate, this is kind of going on in the background. You might, you know, might have to do something, might mm-hmm. have to step up. And then I got on the phone to Williams and was chasing them like, uh, is this true? Because <laughs> like, it would be quite good to know. In the past. And they were just like, just sit tight. Where there's a lot going on at the moment. And right. sat there for like the whole afternoon, basically waiting. And then it was Tuesday night. And I got a call from uh, Simon Roberts, who was then the direct, uh, team principal, mm-hmm. whatever the title would be, at Williams. And he said, there's a very, very strong chance that you'll be in the car. There's some legal stuff that we've got to work out. I'll call you back in the morning and we'll we'll go from there. Right. So of course, didn't sleep. Yeah. <laughs> shots like, on shots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, in the morning he came back and just confirmed it and said, yeah, announcement's going out at this time. Right. And uh, you need to get into the track so we can do X, Y, Z and all the rest of it. And um, that was it. Yeah. So, and from that moment, it was just flat out. Like, I didn't have a chance to sit and mm-hmm. kind of take it in. Like it was um, get to the track start figuring out what the plan is for the weekend mm-hmm. even if you if you know the car and are familiar with it there's still so much more to a race weekend that you have to prepare for compared to a test yep and it wasn't until monday evening or tuesday morning the next week mm-hmm. when i had flown from the from uh, sakia to abu dhabi was sat in the hotel room and i was like 
oh yeah that just happened yeah oh, that was like <laughs> quite a big moment yeah <laughs> so yeah you know, leading to leading up to that race what was your mentality mm. like you know is it what were objectives even just um i found it quite easy to approach it the same as i had done and i'm not sure if that's just because i'd spent a lot of time testing in f1 before that um so i yeah, did my first test in 2017 with renault and had then done bits and bobs through the, the previous three years so i didn't feel that worried about jumping in the car and, and performing um and i also knew the williams team that was the end of my first year with them so i still had had quite a bit of time to get to know everybody um so all of that meant that i felt fairly well prepared and i just was like well you know you can do a good job just don't know how good compared to the other guys mm -hmm. um so just go in build up from practice you've got a lot of time to bring yourself up to speed before quality in the race and, and just go from there um so it's kind of the same as any other race really hmm. that's fantastic. apart from the obvious but in <laughs> yeah. my, that's what i was yeah. you know, that's what you're, you're aiming for yeah yeah and you know now that you've decided to leave this role and you want to focus on other types of racing what was that you know decision like for you i know it must have been hard but you know what was that train of thought in all honesty it wasn't much of a decision you know at the end of the day you never want to be uh you know told where to go and that you're not wanted anymore and that luckily for me wasn't really the case but at the same time my my role in f1 has changed you know my, the time for me to be chasing race seats is you know is the chances have got smaller and smaller because i've not been in a junior single seater series for uh what two three years yeah two years full time um and there are a lot of guys that are coming up who are very talented and younger than me in the williams academy and, and the other teams so you know i was there more in a development role and i was you know contributing a lot on the sim side but equally my racing had turned towards endurance because that's where the opportunities were mm -hmm. and that's what excited me um i didn't want to go back and keep you know banging on the door of f2 because it's just not productive it's not going to help you get salary mm -hmm. um apart from anything else mm -hmm. and um yeah i came to a point where i was like the things that williams want me to do in f1 are not things that i really want to do mm. and the things that i want to do in endurance are not compatible with that schedule anyway so you have to choose and i chose to you know go ahead with the career that has promise and is going to make me a professional driver yeah, so right and then in july of 2021 you know, you obviously had a, a very heavy crash in spa. Um, I'm curious, you know, whenever accidents occur like that, kind of what were the moments leading up to it? You know, what were you thinking during that moment? Do you remember even that moment happening? Some people say it's the longest moment of their life. Some yeah. people say it's very short. And then how did that experience change you as, as a driver even now or, or did it? Um, yeah, definitely did a little bit. I mean, all crashes on that level, I think do. Mm -hmm. um, it's not the only one I've had in my career, but it's the one that gave me the most serious injuries mm. um i mean the moments leading up to that i remember everything luckily so I, I didn't have any concussion or anything like that which is kind of amazing mm. um and it's very rich those moments because um it's not like it's not that it slows down for you but when an accident starts to happen you don't know it's an accident at the time obviously right you know i was going through the corner yep. i got a little bit of oversteer because the car bottomed out in the compression and went to correct it and at that moment when you're correcting something that's you're not thinking about anything it's just part of the driving process it's completely automatic and then the car just 
completely um the the front sort of dug in mm-hmm. it's hard to explain but it, it kind of overcorrected and suddenly i was like sideways facing the wall yep. um because i'd overcorrected it mm-hmm. and i was like you do the not the math but your subconscious knows well you're going way too fast there's no way that you're gonna get this thing hauled around this barrier and you're doing however many hundreds of kilometers an hour uh, and it was that moment that suddenly everything's quite rich like you say you take in all the detail hmm. um and i also i do have a lot of the video from that and i'm not squeamish luckily so i don't mind going back and analyzing things i quite like it hmm. So I know exactly what happened and why it happened. Like I said, had that moment corrected, went into the wall, felt my back um, fracture because I'd had the same injury before mm. and I sort of recognized it, spat me back out. And then again, you're still in the accident. You're not really thinking of anything consciously, got hit by the other cars. And it was only when I was sat on the outside right um, runoff area, mm-hmm. top of Oruz, um and everything was kind of settling then you start to think okay this is really bad and if i get hit again that's going to be really 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 bad (laughs) so i really hope that all the other cars have slowed down um because they can't see Mm -hmm. um and then yeah after that luckily everything was fine so very very lucky but it changed changes a bit the way that you approach risk for Mm -hmm. sure Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that's natural it's survival instinct at the end of the day at the same time most of your uh thinking in the car you you have to switch that part of the brain off because if you're always thinking yeah well what if the wheel falls off now what if the steering column breaks you're never going to get anywhere because it's just um it's it's going to hold you back a lot but it does change uh when you're looking at things from outside the car changes how i approach um just learning from situations and thinking when i go back to spa and it's the first hour of a 24-hour race maybe i shouldn't be pushing absolutely flat out trying mm-hmm. to overtake the guy in front of me maybe you should just back it off a little bit and wait till the next opportunity mm. and then the recovery process like i mean i can only imagine that was tough but like the fact that i think you've been able to get through it largely is, is pretty incredible was that was that a very kind of mentally tough process along with obviously being physically challenging um mentally the only challenging thing was um like i said I ha- i'd had this injury before on a different vertebra so mm. The injury I had for, for people that don't know, um, you've got all your vertebrae stacked on on your spine, and the injury injury is a compression fracture, which is what it sounds like. It's when if your spine gets flung over like this, and the front edge of these vertebrae are suddenly all pushing against Shrunk. each other, yeah. it crushes it. Right. Um, and I'd had that before, also in a, in a car accident, in a, in a Formula Renault crash in 2015. That was much less severe though, and it kind of opened up by itself and. I was able to move around and do things within a few weeks mm. and back in the car after a month, which is perhaps not advisable, but that's <laughs> what I did. And that was kind of, it kind of set my yeah. expectation for this injury, which was a mistake because it was much more severe. It was different uh, in the placement. And I'd also uh, shattered my collarbone. Mm. So a lot of the rehab that you want to do around your back and um, with your core you can't do because you've only got one function functioning shoulder and arm mm. uh, so in the gym you're very limited as well um so the process ended up taking way longer than i expected i was in a back brace for two months mm. um which was not that much fun but it made my posture really good yeah. <laughs> so that was one one upside um and yeah but that apart from that it was mm. fine you know i always 
knew that I wanted to get back in the car. Mm -hmm. There was a bit of, uh, this is a really long time to not be driving. This is the longest time I've not driven in like a decade. Mm. Um, I hope that I'll be able to just slip back into it because yep. I don't think I did any testing before I went back and just, I just went back to a race weekend and luckily it was fine. Mm. So I, I think I, I got off very lightly, to be honest. Um, the crash itself was very spectacular and quite scary, mm -hmm. but really, um, I, yeah, I was got away with a light. Yeah. And, talk, and talking about safety, do you think that FIA and, you know, other organizations within the sport are doing enough for the safety of drivers? I think they do a pretty incredible job for the most part. Um, when you look at the innovations that have come through, things like the head restraints, uh, head and neck restraint, the hands, um, that, you know, it's funny. They always go through a cycle. When they first came out, everyone, all the drivers were saying, that looks so <laughs> stupid. There's no way I'm wearing that. And it, you know, it restricts my movement. It's pinching my neck muscles. Mm. And now everybody wears it. Right. Same with the halo and same when they change tracks. So, mm. you know, in 2021, there were quite a few accidents at Spa, but it's something that people knew could happen and had been happening for a long time. And it's mm. like, well, uh, why... Um, if you know it's happening and even if it's difficult because there's a lot of earth behind that corner or whatever you, you have to change it they've eventually did it just took a bit too long right. right and that's the only criticism that i would put at the fia and all of the safety delegates is it shouldn't have to be a reaction to an accident you should try proactively should be a preemptive uh decision but that's it's, it's very difficult and there's a whole thing of psychology around that which i got into in my you know many spare hours in bed um, but they they do a good job i think they get a lot of um stick uh from fans but really they, they're they're pretty on it perfect yeah. and by the way is there like a group chat with all these drivers and stuff you keep hearing <laughs> that and we're like is this true to whatsapp yeah. or, uh, <laughs> i mean there are there are loads of group chat yeah. i mean it's just like anything like i'm sure you guys have a group chat with yep. your mates or whatever mm -hmm. so generally all of the teams that i've been with especially in endurance because you have multiple drivers We'll have a group chat just for the drivers, just to see what's going on and what people are doing. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, maybe in the single seaters, I think it's less common, but for sure there are groups out there. I know a lot of the British drivers, for example, have group chats. Oh. Is it just, just memes? Not... Memes are being said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Some some homemade, some stolen from the internet. Yep. Fantastic. <laughs> well, that wraps up Q1. Yeah. Any verdict? That was a solid green. Solid green. Oh, yeah. Nice. There solid. we go. Okay. That's well, good. we'll see if you can get a purple in Q2. Yeah. We're here with Jack Aiken. We'll be here back. Welcome back to the Track Limits podcast. We are now getting into Q2 with Jack. Jack, first question in Q2 here. Take us back now, all the way when you were a kid. I'm curious, you obviously come from a racing family. Was that something that you always wanted to do as a kid growing up, is get into a cockpit and drive? Or were there any other kind of occupations you were like, I kind of want to do that? No, it was, it was pretty much like, oh, this is the one thing I'm good at. I should stick to it. <laughs> no, because, so, I mean, we're not a racing family in the sense that my parents weren't, um, they didn't race mm -hmm. at a serious level, but they're both petrol heads, my mom and my dad. Yep. So we were always into cars, always watched the Grand Prix on Sunday, over, uh, lunch on, on the floor in front of the TV, and then Top Gear in the evening. Mm -hmm. That was the thing. And they both had fun cars when they were, well, I say when they were younger, even now they have fun cars. So I was always around that petrol head world. And the first time that I went karting, I was like, um, it was for a birthday party, I think. Really loved it. Just begged to go back, kept going back, kept going back and eventually got into it. And 
the reason I liked it so much partly was I was really scrawny and small as a kid, mm. which is usually not great for sport, like, you know, rugby, football, athletics, whatever. Didn't do that well. Um, so when I got in a car and I was like, ha, no, I'm like 10 <laughs> kilos. I'm yeah. 10 kilos lighter yeah. than all of you guys and flying. Yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'm just naturally gifted at this. It's definitely not the physics of the weight. Yeah. Um, and just got into it more and more from there. What age did you start driving? Seven. Seven. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it was, it was seven because I was a few months short of being eight. Right. You had to be eight at that time to start casting. And my dad mm. was just like, if anyone asks you're you. You're eight. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It was one of those. Oh, wow. Awesome. And what are the fun cars that your parents have, by the way? Um, so my dad, had their, their Porsche fans. So nice. my dad has a 993 Turbo, which oh. he got, I think, just a few months before I was born. Um, so 27 years old. Yep. And um, he's done a few bits and bobs to it, and he loves that car probably more than me. <laughs> and then my mom has. <laughs> so, my mom, to give some context, she's a uh, South Korean okay. and she's quite short and small, uh, probably where I got that from. <laughs> and uh, she told us around, but she worked in the city and was, um, you know, one of the first women to reach such a high position in the city. And she used to say to all of her, co-workers or any you know people that she's doing business meetings with oh yeah i drive a very green car because she works in renewable energy oh, no. for a lot of stuff yeah. and her green car is a viper green porsche gt3 rs oh. so, <laughs> wait a minute yeah. and like she used to daily that car into canary wharf when she was doing her, her job there huh. and she would open the door and everybody would be like Who, who's driving that piece of kit <laughs> yeah. and a little korean lady would step out with her stilettos <laughs> And they're like, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so I always say my driving talent definitely comes from my mum's mm-hmm. side of the uh, family, not my dad, because I've seen him at track days. Yeah. That's a sight to behold on its own. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And then in 2010, you raced in the national, uh, what was it called? Super it's a, such a, yeah, Super, Super One Super National one, yeah. Championship um, with George Russell. What was that experience like? And I'm, I'm guessing there was other drivers there too. Yeah, uh, that feels like a long, long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember george very differently back then because yeah. we we raced together there and then didn't see each other for like five years mm-hmm. and then met again in uh, gp3 um it was fun like i was uh with a, a british manufactured car called a gillard which were quite unique let's say they had some quirks um and george was on the the sort of um the go-to tony carts mm. and uh, we had a lot of fun racing that year like you said there were definitely other characters who were racing as well and um i just remember it being fun it's a very simple kind of racing compared to what it is now even in karting and certainly what it is in single seaters there's a bit less faff around the driving it's more just about what's happening on track mm. um and you're you know you're just a kid i was 12 or 13 i think um i should know so yeah times were different for sure but uh, yeah it was a good time yeah apart from me losing to George. <sighs> i know um do you think he's a future <laughs> world champion yeah I, I mean he's he's already shown that he's super talented right um and you know i got to see him up close and work with him in a few different iterations whether that was in karting or in gp3 and f2 and then in williams again um so you know i think we have a great crop of british talent coming through in general and george is kind of leading that with lando and alex as well Mm. so 
it, it's cool to see them doing so well. Hmm. And then in terms of your kind of goals and aspirations and kind of what you want out of kind of your future, where do you see that? Like, what are some of the kind of core things you want to do, you know, in the next four or five years that you're like kind of bucket list items now? I definitely want to keep uh, ticking off the international races and endurance. So Bathurst is one that I really want to do mm. um, just because it's a special track and uh, it looks like a lot of fun. And, you know, I'm slightly biased towards Australia. So that would be cool. Um, but I really want to keep going back to Le Mans mm. and doing well there and hopefully fighting for top class honors at some point. Uh, that's really the, the main dream. Mm. The World Endurance Championship and IMSA are definitely part of that as well because they're just really, every driver is saying it, but they're, they're really living in a, in a golden era. Like we're very lucky to see this level of manufacturer involvement at a price point that is so attractive for so many of them, right? So mm -hmm. um, it's, yeah, pretty much focused on on that side of things. And what's what has been your highlight of your career or has it even happened in your opinion? Yeah, I don't know. So far, yeah. it, it would be my i wouldn't even pin it down just to the uh the debut in f1 it's that whole involvement because it's this very special sport in mm. itself mm. um and there's you know facets of f1 that you don't get close to anywhere else in motorsport you know it's so specialized so uh detail driven and the you know the budgets are just mental right so you get a lot of things there that you won't see anywhere else even in factory programs and endurance uh, and that was really, really, really cool to to be a part of and to see from the inside. Yeah. And then tell us about a moment where you were like, "Oh, I've I've totally screwed this up," or <laughs> "I botched this." You know, how do you bounce Which back? One? Yeah. <laughs> so many. I think we all do, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. tell us about one particular moment and, and maybe just how you even bounce back generally yeah. from from times where you screw things up. Pick one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that that sport, right? It's just full of uh, moments like that, but. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, one moment was, so I mentioned that I did my first F1 test in 2017, I think. Mm -hmm. um, Alex is nodding. She knows better than me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was in the old, as it was, Lotus E20 uh, 2012 car. And we were in Jerez, which is in Spain. It's mm -hmm. like a, quite a small circuit, but um, used for a lot of testing. Knew it very well. And I was, um, yeah, there to do my first ever day. Really excited got in the car blown away by it by it and thinking like oh there's just uh so much to take in mm. um but then after 10 laps i was like it's got understeer this is crap like, <laughs> <laughs> we need to new set of tires please <laughs> can you sort this out yeah. um typical driver yeah. and um did the morning got working through a few different sort of test items not for the car just for me to mm. get a feel for changing things around and trying different stuff on track and then in the afternoon, had lunch, went back out and was going really well. There, were, there was another driver there who was a test driver as well at the time. And I was comparing well and feeling pretty good about myself. <laughs> and you can see what's coming right. And like, yep, yep. at Jerez, there's a, like a, a very quick double right-hander towards the end of the lap. That uh -huh. looks a bit like a um, just a, um, the end of a boot or something. Mm. And in an F1 car, you've got so much downforce that it's just like you go through the first one and you just take a little lift and turn into the next one and fly through and uh i turned in lifted and was like getting back on the power and i was like oh that doesn't feel good and oh, it started to slide oh. and there's just um when you start to slide especially in those generation of cars you just lose all the downforce because 
air's meant to hit the car straight on, right? Mm-hmm. So as, as soon as you get sideways, it's like, nope, we're not playing anything yeah. else. <laughs> lost the rear of the car. Managed to scroll off quite a lot of speed before mm-hmm. I got to the barrier, but I was going backwards through the gravel like, please, please, <laughs> please. Down, right? Please, please. And <laughs> just went, dunk. Right. Felt it, um, like, luckily it wasn't a massive crunch, but I was like, I've definitely broken something. Mm. So red flag, I'm sat in the car, like waiting for the recovery people to come like, First time, first test in a car, Renault are going to fire you. You've just broken their car. This is terrible. All of those thoughts. And then um, they they were really nice about it, as, as they always were. They were a great group of guys and girls. And um, they just said, look, you've done an amazing job up to this point. Don't worry about it. You were pushing. That's fine. Mm. And then I came into the factory the week after to check in on and see how it was all going and look at some data and whatnot. And they just pulled out this like shard of carbon fiber from the floor of the car that I destroyed. And they were like, this is for you. Yeah. And they, they stuck a, a, a Harev uh, track map onto yeah, it yeah. and like put a big red X on the corner and crashed. <laughs> wow. RIP this floor. <laughs> <laughs> so that still got it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, wor- it's like your worst nightmare to crash in your first F1 test. Yeah. But it's true what they were saying. Like you got to push the car. And at the end of the day, if you're driving around scared of it, you're never going to impress anybody. Mm. Obviously, better not to crash and to impress people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I had a great time and they didn't hold it against me too much, luckily. Mm. And what, yeah. what advice do you have for you know young up-and-coming drivers who want to get into, you know, a, whether it's F1, endurance, but don't know what steps to take? You know, like, I want, like, real recommendations. You know, what to avoid, what steps to take. Let's hear it. <laughs> it's very hard yeah <laughs> yeah um i mean i i get these questions quite often yeah. um it's a great thing about social media right yep. people can just uh, send you a dm and ask for advice and uh i do like to read all of them and go through it because it's, it's not that many luckily okay. so um but it's really hard because the the bottom line is you need a lot of budget mm. that is the very first requirement you know we all want the fairy tale of the guy that is a bit of an underdog and doesn't need the budget because he gets sponsors or he gets picked up by an f1 team the reality is to even get to the kind of level where you will be picked up say f4 f3 level you need to have already spent hundreds of thousands of dollars pounds whatever uh, which is terrifying right Mm. so um, the best advice i can give if you've got that budget in place and you can do that is track time you cannot beat track time Um, and while most of the time the more track time there is, the more you have to pay. Mm. There are some series which offer you a lot more track time than others. So for example, if you're doing GP3 or F3, sorry, um, because you're kind of on the the bottom of the priority list of the F1 support weekend, Mm. you get the least track time. You get 45 minutes practice and then you're into quali. Whereas um, if you were doing the old Renault World Series or the old Formula 3 uh, as it was 10 years ago, you had three times the amount of practice on a, on a race weekend and unlimited testing away from the track. So it's really valuable because it's just practice. Mm. And then the other thing is to not trust anybody, yeah, there you go. Um, which is a classic, but the reasoning maybe is slightly different. There are people you can trust, but you will find out who those people are by not trusting them in the first place. And then they will show themselves to be good people if they stick around, if they don't take advantage. And unfortunately, especially in the junior single seater series, because drivers are so desperate to get to F1 and they often have these big budgets, um, they're, they're prime targets to take be taken advantage of if you're not a very nice person. So mm. people do it. Um, and you have to be smart about the teams that you go with. 
don't think that you can outdrive a poor team when you get to the you know series like Formula Three and Formula Two. Mm. Um, so really, yeah, just oh, and, you know prepare early. Yeah. Fantastic. Any superstitions or rituals that you have, by the way, when you drive? Like I know some people like only jump in the car from the left side. <laughs> uh, you know, like some people were talking to us about mantras that they've kind of recite in their head mm-hmm. before. Like, yeah. is there any kind of rituals or anything you have before? I mean, I, I always said that I'm not a superstitious person, so yeah. I don't believe in that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I kind of changed my mind in the sense that I don't believe in superstitions, but I do believe in routine. Yeah, and that's very important. When you know, if you've always got in the car from the left hand side, and that's what feels natural, then yeah, just keep, <laughs> just doing, keep like, doing it. Why change it? You know. Yep um but personally i don't have anything concrete like that i'm trying to think now if there's anything that i do subconsciously that i haven't thought of Mm. um i definitely have my routine before i get in the car like i like to get changed at a certain time before that point Mm. i like to do my warm-up i like to walk over to the car at a certain time and have a bit of um you know a moment to take everything in and make sure that i'm ready Mm. but i don't think that i've got any um any proper superstitions a guy dropped a penny in my car once and was like this is gonna bring you good luck (laughs) okay you're like trying to find the penny like where the hell i hope that doesn't break it i was gonna (laughs) say goes in the wrong hole somewhere never never found it i did ask the mechanic i was like if you see a penny by the way that's (laughs) never saw it again so it's somewhere in that formula bmw yeah yeah yeah, and then when the grid lights are going on i'm curious like do you get nervous like have you had moments where you were a little bit no just the adrenaline rush takes takes over yeah, if you yeah. get if you're gonna get for me anyway, if if mm. you're gonna get nervous, it's gonna be well before that point when there's nothing mm. to do. So like sitting on the the dummy grid when you're just like you have to be in the car like ten minutes before because the marshals want to make sure they can move you at the right time. Mm. Uh, but there's nothing to do and you're just left with your own thoughts. And if you're not disciplined, then yep. you can get nervous or start thinking about the wrong kind of stuff. Stuff. Yep. Uh, but then. And the same when you're maybe sat on the grid waiting for the formation lap to start. But once you start the formation lap, you're already doing a job. Mm. You're warming up the tires, you're warming up the brakes, you're checking that the car's ready and that you're putting yourself in the position that you want to be in, watching the other cars, getting to the grid, getting those burnouts in, sitting, making sure you're right at the edge of the white line, mm. looking at the lights, waiting for watching your mirror to see if the cars are lined up. So there's no time to be nervous. You know, you're you're doing stuff all yep. the time. Yep. Yeah. And do you think the Formula One should increase their grid to more than 20 drivers? I think they should, um, but the mechanics of that are not simple because, I mean, because I guess you're asking because of all the stuff around and new entries. Exactly. So, and the problem is from a team's perspective, it absolutely makes sense to do what they're doing and saying, do I want less money for my team next year? No, No, I I don't. (laughs) Of course they're going to say that. So the problem is that they've, they should maybe not be part of that decision process or there should be a different way of splitting the money um, rather than the way it's set up at the moment. But I, there's no reason why you can't have more than 20 cars on the grid. And there's absolutely reasons why you should. So, mm. yeah, I think they should. Yeah. And, and what about uh, regulations that are, you know, coming in where, you know, uh, drivers are complaining that the car's getting heavy. You know, there's a lot more overtakes, but the car's not fast enough. So what do you what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I agree to an extent. I mean... So the first F1 car that I drove, like I said, was the 2012 car. And already that feels like a completely different machine to when I was driving the 2018, 2019 Renaults, um, which was, you know, same generation as what we've got now. It's a lot heavier. It's a lot less responsive in the low speed stuff. They're still very capable cars, but 
it's through a bit more trickery rather than just good old fashioned uh, it's lightweight and it, it, there's a lot of mechanical grip yeah. mm. um and they make up for that by having a lot of power and a lot of downforce um and that's the truly impressive part of this generation of f1 cars it's like a video game when you get into a high speed section um but it does take away some of the enjoyment because you know as a driver you want to feel like the car is a scalpel not a butcher's knife yeah. you know it's like something that you can play with and adjust and there's a video the best example um there's a uh, highlight i think it's schumacher winning in 2003 the world championship at magni he crosses the line i might get that year wrong but mm-hmm. something like that well correct that's okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Edit. yeah. yeah. Uh, he crosses the line and he just does that with the steering wheel and the the thing is just like Wonder. as if uh, yeah. someone's you know twisting it on the track he's doing yeah. like 150 kilometers an hour or whatever so um and the car is just responding instantly if you do that in this generation of cars it will just track straight mm. wow. it's not going to do anything because you've got so much inertia and weight right um the reason that they're getting that way is because of safety right there's a lot more crush zone bigger structures to protect the driver on the sides of the cockpit um so i i mean i hope they can find a way to bring that back a bit but i can understand why it's difficult as well final question of q2 tell us a bit about who you are outside of racing altogether like tell us a little bit about what you like doing you know spare weekend spare week what do you what do you get up to what are your hobbies outside of work i heard triathlon or yeah, yeah. That he competed in, you know <laughs> yeah that, that was off the record actually. Yeah. <laughs> swimming is an issue um i can swim uh i yeah i, I joke that drivers have no personality a lot of the time because like when it was the question that used to really annoy me when a mm. journalist came up to me like what are your hobbies? Mm. Or a championship would ask you, what are your hobbies? So they could put it on your website profile. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I have no hobbies. Like, this, this, is my, <laughs> yeah. this is my life. Like, I spend 24 hours a day thinking about cars and racing. Like, what do you expect? Mm. We're young professional sports people. That's what we're going to do. We're going to obsess. Mm. Um, that's changed a little bit, partly through maybe just being a bit older and not obsessing quite as much and just also having a bit more time because I, you know, uh, I'm lucky that I, I'm not doing school. I'm not going to university or doing any other kind of job. So I, I have time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like to train. Um, like is a, it's like type two fun. So I, I enjoy it after the fact yeah. at the time. Not always very enjoyable, but yeah, I like to run. Really like to ride bikes because uh, I live up in Oxford, which is kind of a bit more in the countryside compared to London. Mm. And um, it's nice because I can justify riding to a cafe and having a big slab of cake (laughs) and some coffee um and i just like to spend time at home to be honest like i'm perfectly happy chilling and getting into a routine when i've got time at home because we spend so much time living out of a suitcase that the comforts of your own bed and you know just being able to relax and not be on a timetable for a day is is quite nice fantastic wow are you a fan of red velvet by the way absolutely yes. yes let's go that's our favorite yeah and that's all we eat you actually. gotta warm it up by the way yeah. have you tried that 15 seconds up. 15 I mean, seconds at least or actually maximum yeah okay yeah. this is yeah. precise like, yeah well, like precise. i need to up my cake game to it. yeah i mean my person i like red 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 velvet's top three victoria sponges the classic this never thing. done what victoria that? sponge that You've just sounds posh as hell yeah. <laughs> yeah that's like a british classic yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly it's a sponge with uh jam and cream uh-huh. in the middle and it's 
It's really good. I, I recommend trying. Okay, we got to try it before we leave. Okay. Well, yeah. that wraps up Q2. Any verdict on Q2? So we have one called Gurpal. Gurpal. It's, it's a mix between green and purple. Oh, yeah. I yeah. like the mini set. The mini yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. with you. There we go. I'll well, take. we'll see that if Jack can get a purple in the rapid yes. fire round coming yeah, up. That's why I look forward to it. Stay tuned. All right. Welcome back to the Track Limits podcast. We're now entering our final segment, the rapid fire round. Jack, how do you feel going into this round? Nervous. Yeah, uh, this, <laughs> this is, be... yeah, I'm on the dummy grid and it's not good. Good, <laughs> good. That's precisely our goal, yes. exactly what we want. But we're going to ask you a bunch of questions here. We'd love the answers to be rapid, full of fire. I'm sure you'd love that. I'd love that too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I said, I don't it's have like the best. 25 minutes yeah. later. <laughs> we'll have a stop timer Let, let's right see, here. Let's see. All right, first question. If you had to choose one track to race on forever, which one would it be? Spa. Nice. That's our favorite. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Racing in the rain or racing in the dry. Rain. 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 Really? Yeah. Why? It's just you get way more overtaking opportunities because there are so many different lines you can take and people mess up way more often. Mm. Overtaking or having to defend a position. Which one do you find more difficult? More difficult to defend. More difficult. Okay. Jack, I'm about to show you a photo. <laughs> it's quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> this is back in your Renault days. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> what was this? <laughs> that was the uh, Let's hear my blossoming modeling. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm sure it's not. Re okay, can we like time out on the quick yeah. fire? This yeah. is not a quick fire story. <laughs> yeah. um, I'll try and make it quick. Okay. Renault, and I'm sure many other teams have the same issue, which is when they bring out suits, merchandise, kit, whatever, for the start of the year and around January. They're like, here's the kit. And then two weeks later, mm, there's a new sponsor. Scrap that. Oh, We're no. doing a new one. Oh, right. And then three weeks later, scrap that. We've got to do <laughs> Scrap that. And it happens like four times. Yeah. So that was one of the many, many suits that I got, I think, in 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was just like, wonder how long this one will last. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're showing it to the, the everyone else in the group. Yeah. Really? Love it. Uh, do you have your phone on you? I do. Lovely. Oh. Could you pull it out, please? And uh, yeah. tell us, who was the last person you texted? Oh, does WhatsApp count? Because WhatsApp yeah. counts, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Last sent message. Yep. It's really boring. Is <laughs> <laughs> to the team manager of a. Oh, I, I can't announce that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, okay, it's, okay. it's team not, manager. It's not been done yet. Yeah. It's your team manager. Team manager. Lovely. Nice. The one you might. Uh, <laughs> oh. Uh, maybe you know when this episode comes out, we could yeah, yeah, yeah. mention that. You know, maybe, you never maybe. know. Uh, what regulation change would you institute? Whether it's reverse grid, double points on the last race? Um, scrap FP1 and FP2. We've had that. Wow. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Get yeah, right into it, right? Too. FP3 yep. qualifying. Yep. Love that. Nice. Uh, which driver would you trust to drive you around the track blindfolded? They're blindfolded. No no just no okay oh my god damn we thought we were gonna get a name we thought like some people have said like daniel ricardo because if i'm gonna go out i want to go out laughing i mean yeah i respect that opinion like i could subscribe to that but also no one can drive a lap blind yeah i don't care what people say that's a no okay i've and i've been passenger to non-blindfolded drivers racing drivers yeah it was not good so i don't i don't want that okay greatest driver of all time Mm. Um, yep. <laughs> uh, Jim Clark. Okay. Yep. Lovely. Uh, most underrated driver on the grid right now, in your opinion? Hulkenberg. Okay. Cool. Mm. Yeah, very excited. Your wildest 2023 F1 season prediction? 
Mm. Ferrari clutched the the world championship. Oh, that's, okay. That's yeah, that's, that's a long bold. shot, but we'll see. Lovely. What car do you drive daily? Uh, I just got a new car, and I'm very proud of it. It's a BMW 340i Touring wagon, okay. wagon life. Uh, what's the most over asked question that you get? Um, what are your hobbies? <laughs> Damn it. Damn. <laughs> Would you rather DNF on race day or not make it out of the garage in qualifying? And then make it for the race? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah make yeah. it for the race. Make it for 100%. the race. 100%. Starting from the back. That's the best. That's the yeah. best? Yeah, yeah. I love that. Uh, what's one piece of F1 memorabilia you own or you'd like to own? Hmm. Um, probably the... Yeah, broken bit of floor that I've got. Well, that's a special place <laughs> in my heart, yeah. I don't really own much of a memorabilia. Nice. Okay. Most embarrassing moment you've had in a Grand Prix weekend? You could, like, pick one. Um, as in just the one I was driving or any? Any. Just you were part of a Grand oh, Prix God. weekend and just embarrassing moment. I'm trying to think if I've actually really... I, I think I've defended myself pretty well. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I have had pictures taken of me holding copious bottles of alcohol in the Renault motor in Renault <laughs> kit. That was not good. Yeah. Right, right. Um, but I think I managed to get away with it. So yeah. Cool. Nice. If you can have one superpower, what would it be? Uh time travel. Nice. Where would you go? Whenever the last F up was. <laughs> <laughs> so many. <laughs> what celebrity would be a good fit for Formula Racing as a driver? Tom Cruise. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Good. Yeah, we got that. I, con yeah. I concur. Yeah. Now now let's talk about predictions for twenty twenty three. Constructors and drivers. I already told you yeah. it's going to be Ferrari and 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 drivers. <laughs> yeah. um, drivers. Uh, um, well, if I'm going to go with Ferrari, yeah. I'm going to say Charles. Nice. Yeah. And final question: You're writing an autobiography on your life. Which of these titles best resonates with you? Okay. okay. <laughs> the Daredevil, the Dreamcatcher, the Hardest Worker, or the Free Spirit? Oh God, they're all terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, scrap my novel. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, or add your own. Yeah, or add your own. <laughs> the hardest worker, the free spirit, the, the dream catcher, the dream ca or the daredevil. I'm going with dream catcher. Dream catcher. That's out there. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Fantastic. Well, that wraps up the rapid yeah, fire. That I was a pure. I think purple. that was a purple. Yeah. That was actually quite quick. Yeah. Yeah. Quick. Yeah. We didn't even we'll get go. enough story times, I guess. Yeah. yeah. We, were we can slip one. a few more in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just to end off, we ask every guest, Jack, you know, tell us a little bit about legacy, how you want to be remembered. I know, you know, there's obviously a lot that you've done and there's a lot that you are going to do in the next few years. So how do you want to be remembered when it's all said and done? Um, I think that's quite a, yeah. I, everyone would love to be remembered, but I'm also like coming to more and more these days, the opinion of, hmm you're just doing it to be remembered that's probably the wrong reason mm. i want to do it so that i enjoy it and that i'm getting what i want out of it whether that's just enjoying the moment mm. or working and building yourself up to something that you think you you couldn't be you know the pursuit of sport is a great thing in itself mm. and i love that about motorsport that it's brought that to my life that uh chasing every gain that you can and working towards a goal that you love not just like at school or something mm. um so that's kind of what i want to achieve whether if I get remembered for stuff that I've done because of that, then then great. But I kind of don't want to attach myself to that um, that goal. If you yep. see what I mean. Very well said. Yeah, I think that was a purple in enough itself. It, it, yeah. Just that one answer was enough. Brilliant. Yeah. Very yeah. <laughs> promotional poll, baby. You got it. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Where can people find you on social media if they want to follow? Uh, everything is on yep. at Jake and Racer. 
Perfect. Yep. Awesome. We'll put all the you know socials in our show description, guys. If you enjoy this episode, drop a review. We really do appreciate it. And check out our other episodes on tracklimitspod.com. Give us a follow on socials and we'll see you at the next episode. Yeah.